Hi, I'm Bethany Godso, the Associate Vice President for Career and Leadership Development at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and each member of our community has an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoy. Hey, podcast listeners. This is Miriam Miller with All in a Day's Work. We're talking today with Kylie Russ. Kylie, thank you so much for being with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you began this journey? Sure, thank you. I am the co-founder and COO of Govern for America, a nonprofit that is helping build the next generation of public sector leaders in the United States. I am about to graduate from NYU Wagner with my MPA in only a couple short weeks. My background is primarily in education. I studied government in my undergrad experience. And then I went on to teach for several years, did a little bit of fundraising. And then when I came back to graduate school, I actually co-founded Govern for America in the first year, dropped down to part-time. And so I'm now graduating about three years later. Can you tell us a little bit about, first of all, what GFA is and what was the genesis for your idea? Sure. So Govern for America is, as I said, trying to help build the next generation of public sector leaders. And right now we are really doing that through our two-year fellowship experience where we connect recent graduates from either master's programs or undergrad to high-impact roles in government. The genesis for the idea, from my perspective, really comes from what my co-founder and I saw as a real pipeline issue. I experienced the pipeline issue into government when I graduated from college, and I continuously was told from people in my circle, in my institution, that I should try to go into private sector first, build my skills there, and then if I still want to later, move into the public sector. And I thought that there was something really off with that message that, hey, you know, young person who really is passionate about making a difference, why don't you try private sector first? So I didn't do that. And my second experience with this pipeline issue came when I was teaching, which is what I did immediately after graduating. I saw the direct impact of the advice to young people that they shouldn't go into public sector. The effect of that was there wasn't enough conversation happening between people who are making policy decisions and then the people who those policy decisions are impacting because a lot of people were kind of stuck in their ways. And so we decided to try to do something about it. And we knew that there was already a model out there for a two-year fellowship called Teach for America, among other models. And so we, we took on the adventure of starting Govern for America together. When you had this idea, can you just sort of take us through this process of transitioning an idea into a reality? Because most people would stop at the idea. 
Yeah, it's a great question. So it was a lot of iterating, a lot of talking to those people, both directly around us, my co-founder and I, and talking to a lot of people who had experienced the pain points that we thought that we could solve with Govern for America. I think a lot of people, there's this joke that the NYU eLab, who has been tremendously important in our success so far, tells about how people say, hey, uh, do you guys like my idea? And then they look around at who they're asking and it's like their parents and their best friends. And of course those people are going to support you and want you to say, yeah, it's a great idea. So we talk to hundreds, if not a thousand young people before we even officially incorporated as an organization. And we talked to many state government people who would tell us about the issues that they saw. A lot of our success was just about listening really well. And uh, I think in this, this interview, you'll hear that theme come out a lot. So in addition to doing all of this background research, how do you feel like you were able to get really well-versed in something that you didn't really have that kind of direct experience in? I think at this point, it sounds like you had not worked in government before. So what were the other steps that you had to do to really become an expert in this? Yeah. So my co-founder did work in government uh, in Rhode Island. So that was super helpful for us to establish credibility. But I, I was able to do that through, I would say, a lot of really hard work to make sure that I sounded like I knew what I was talking about. So I would make sure that I knew what the hiring laws were in any department that I was talking to. I would make sure to have done as much background research as possible. I would also say that everybody has skills that they bring to the table. And you might not be an expert in, in the content area that you're interested in going into, but you can absolutely translate skills that you already have into really applicable skills for whatever you're interested in doing. I think the thing about transferable skills really speaks to a much broader challenge that a lot of people have when it comes to thinking about how they transition into a new type of role or a new type of field and figuring out how those things that they've done in the past will actually work for them and make them more successful. When you were a teacher, how do you feel like those skills that you built up in that experience informed the way in which you approached your work with Govern for America? I actually am in the process of trying to write an op-ed about this right now because I do think that teachers are America's most underutilized entrepreneurs. I mean, think about what a classroom teacher has to do. They are storytelling to students who may or may not want to listen on a regular basis. Entrepreneurs are storytelling and pitching every time that they get up and try to convince someone that they have a good idea. Teachers are really innovative and curious. They are trying to make small tweaks in their classrooms, especially now virtually, to try to figure out what are the best ways to get the content across to my class. And of course, entrepreneurs have to be innovative and curious and, and willing to test things out. And I don't think that's a natural pitch that many people would be like, oh yeah, of course, teachers are entrepreneurs. But I think when you really break down your own skill set and say, not this is how I use my skills, but these are the skills that I actually have, you can make the case for many, many ways to use those skills that you have built. For you being a pretty young entrepreneur, you're still a graduate student for a few more weeks here at NYU. How do you feel like you, other than doing research, continue to establish credibility and find the resources that you need to make something like this happen? 
So first of all, I think that there in the United States, there is definitely a culture of glorification of entrepreneurs, but also not being surprised when entrepreneurs are young. So people, when they meet me and, and are surprised that I'm young, are like, okay, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. Because who else would, would do something crazy like start a company? But I think it, more tangibly, there are going to be people who are going to say, okay, you don't have enough experience to be able to know what you're talking about. So some ways, some super practical ways that I have found help with that are things like take your graduation year off of your LinkedIn, dress older. I think the more professional you dress in meetings, especially to like investors, depending on your field, the more people are going to say, oh yeah, she maybe looks like she's a little bit older. But then also I think that beyond that, it's really talk about your experience that you do have with a lot of confidence and get your story right about why you are the right person for this. Balance that very carefully with not pretending like you know everything or that your limited experience does make you an expert. Asking people for advice has been one of the ways that I and we as a team have been really successful of getting experts to be on our board, for example. And of course, the more people that are credible already in surrounding you, the more credible you look. You know, one of the things I know about you also is that you do have Obviously, these additional resources through the eLab, and I know you mentioned that a little bit as a resource. You also are a Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient, so certainly you've gotten some external validation as well. Have you experienced imposter syndrome, especially in the early stages of this? Is that something that you still experience? Oh my gosh, yes, for sure. What is so funny because we're actually doing a training with with our fellows next next month on imposter syndrome and like basically the point is that everybody has imposter syndrome and I think kind of everybody is making up their job as they go. It's just about like how well informed are your choices? How much are you listening to and leaning on people around you? And how confidently are you making the decisions? But I do think that really preparing for your meeting and meetings and pitches as much as possible and often in the early days, probably like over preparing definitely made me feel like, okay, I know what I'm talking about, at least in my sliver of expertise building. We'll be right back to our episode after this quick tip from Diana Mendez. When you follow up in a professional email, there are a few components that you should include. First of all, make sure that you reply to the chain that you're already discussing because then it'll be easier to follow for the person. Make sure that you are concrete and you know swift to get to your point. So if it's a follow-up, then you can always say as a follow-up to our last conversation or per your request, I'm including what you requested or something that demonstrates that you're following up on next steps or any type of directives from either your supervisor or the person that you were talking to before. Make sure that you use proper salutation depending on how familiar you are with a person. So this could be doctor, professor, Mr., Miss, whatever the person prefers. Make sure that you also sign off in a respectful manner. So sincerely, best wishes, you know, depends on the relationship you have with the person. And always remember that if you say I'm attaching something that you check that it is attached and always check that it's going to the right person. In general, just have a really positive tone. Make sure that it's shortened to the point. The person understands what the next steps are and that you're always polite no matter what familiarity you have with the person. And now, back to the episode. 
I'd love to switch gears a little bit and talk more broadly about the public sector. So can you talk a little bit about where this interest in the public sector came from for you? I've always thought of government as being the place that has the biggest levers to pull to make fundamental and systematic change. But I think that, I mean, one of the things that made me even more particularly interested at the time when we started Govern for America is looking at who is in our government right now at all levels and realizing that those people in the public sector are not always representative of our country. And I think that that's a problem. So that was one of the hooks that really got me involved. And then the last thing that I would say is teachers are definitely public servants. And so I think I experience the public sector from more of a direct service angle than a government angle, but I absolutely saw the effects of policy being passed down to other public servants in a way that was often harmful to the communities that I was serving. I know you said also earlier that some of the advice that you had gotten about going into the public sector was that you should really go work in the private sector first. What advice would you have for other people who are getting similar feedback from people who are interested in this area? (laughs) Yeah, it's really challenging because it is often hard to find jobs, not, I would say, necessarily in the public sector at large, but often it is very hard to find jobs in government because governments have struggled traditionally to recruit and because many times their websites are very outdated and it's really challenging to navigate them. The advice that I would give is don't listen (laughs) because there are lots of ways to get your foot in the door in the public sector at large. And if you're interested in eventually getting into a government role, I don't think that it is a bad thing to get a little bit of experience first doing something in the content area that you're interested in. The other thing that I would say is there are roles for young people who are passionate and willing to work really hard and bring whatever skills they have to the table. It's just about finding them. The two ways that I would suggest are one, do wade through the websites because the roles are there. They're just hard to find. The other way to get advice on how to find those roles is to network. People often shy away from networking because it doesn't feel like it's something that we should have to do to get jobs and really like make the world go round. But we always talk about at GFA networking does make the world go round. Tapping into networks of people that can help you navigate the jobs on on those difficult to use websites can only help you. What are some other ways that you imagine getting people excited about careers in public service? So there is um, some really exciting work happening at the federal level. There's a commission of people who are working on figuring out, can we make resources available so that any young person who wants to do a year or two of public service can do that and will get supported in some way financially. I also think that there is increasing, and especially in this very unique and unprecedented moment that we're in with the COVID-19 crisis, people are seeing that government needs to figure out a way of being more prepared for challenges that are unpredictable. 
And so I think that there is going to be a groundswell of interest in government going forward and a recognition that as 40% of the government workforce in the United States retires in the next five years, we need young people to step up and, and move into those roles so that we can have a brighter future and people who are willing to serve the public and the greater good. I was not aware that the retirement rate in the next few years was quite that high in government. That's a pretty staggering number. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And of course, it, it changes from state to state. There actually are a couple of states where that number, depending on the agency, is as high as 70%. Can you share a little bit about what else is next for GFA and, and anything else that's on your horizon? Yeah, we will be reopening the fellowship application for the two-year paid fellowship in August this this coming summer. But in the more immediate future, we have about 1,200 people who have applied and many, many more thousands of people who have expressed interest in Govern for America. We're really uniquely positioned because of those people and because of our connections to government to try to actually match young people who are interested in getting experience in serving their country with smaller short-term between one and six month roles that they can do from home in direct response to the COVID-19 crisis. We have well over 500 young people who've signed up for that program and want to be matched with roles. And so we, in the next few weeks, will be starting to deploy some of those core members to, to help kind of stop the bleeding in states and hopefully start to plan for uh, a better future. Anything next for you specifically? For me, very excited to be graduating and and starting to commit even more time to GFA, yes, but also personally excited to kind of start to have my, my weekends free. But no, I think that otherwise uh, Octavia and I am very excited about where we think Govern for America is headed and excited to have any any listeners apply, support in any way, join our COVID response core, uh, or any other way that, that they think that they might want to learn more and help. Well, thank you so much, Kylie. Congratulations, certainly, on your graduation. We are thrilled for you, and I think certainly a lot of listeners will find a lot of value in hearing about the work that you've been doing with Govern for America over these last few years. With that, we just want to wrap up our episode today by thanking Kylie for being here and sitting down with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I am happy to chat further with uh, any listeners that are interested. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log on to our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Miriam Miller with episode guest Kylie Russ. We're produced and edited by me, Lily Smith, and created with support from Mia Beresford, Danielle Crystal, Dana Rosa, Haley Garofalo, Diana Mendez, Joseph Mercadante, Carrie Pannoni, and Sarah Rosenthal. Since this episode was recorded, Kylie graduated from NYU. We wish her all the best with everything that's next for her. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.